Thank you for downloading this episode of Nels Nelson's Interesting People. Today I'm joined by comedian Lars Kellyo, and I'm really excited to speak to him. It's, you kind of worry when you have a comedian on, you're, it, there's a little bit of nerves, because what if you say something wrong? He just might rip you for it, or you might become the butt of one of his jokes down the way. And that can kind of intimidate a guy. I'm a big guy, but I can still be intimidated. But Lars is brilliant. He's very easy to chat with, talk with, and you're going to enjoy this episode. A little bit about Lars, if you're wondering. He's appeared at the Just for Last Festival in Montreal, has a one-hour comedy special currently airing on the Comedy Network, and has been overseas to entertain the troops five times. Three for the American troops, two for the Canadian troops. He can be heard on CBC's Laugh Out Loud, the debaters and on Sirius XM. He's one of only four Canadians in history to make the finals of both the San Francisco and Seattle international comedy competitions. Lars has toured with the likes of Miss Joan Rivers, Jeff Foxworthy and Bob Saget. He's performed at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival annually since 2015 and he was in the middle of his sixth tour of Australia and Asia when COVID brought him home last March. He's also appeared at the Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland, the Boston Comedy Festival, the World Series of Comedy in Las Vegas, and the Halifax Comedy Festival in, well, as he says, Halifax, just in case you weren't sure where the Halifax Comedy Festival was. If you're still listening, which it seems like a lot to sum it up, he's pretty good at comedy. The reason I say all of that is because it's such a great chat over the hour and a half and a bit more that I didn't get to everything that he's done, but he's done a lot. He's a genuine, nice guy, easy guy to like, and you're probably going to want to give him a follow right now. We mentioned it towards the end of the show at Extra Lars, that's E-X-T-R-A-L-A-R-S on Twitter and Instagram. And you can join in his epic journey to a million kilometers. What does that mean? Well, we'll talk about it. And if you go on social media, you can find out. He's also done the 163 shows in the past, well, last year at the start of the pandemic, a few months in, the 163 shows with a Fire Pit Comedy Tour. We'll discuss that as well, but you can go on Facebook page, Fire Pit Comedy Tour, and see pictures from that as you listen along. All this he's done, and he took some time out of his Friday night to talk with me. So I'm very appreciative of it. I'm very thankful for you listening and downloading this show and for Lars Kelly O for coming on Nels Nelson's Interesting People. So enjoy this episode of Nels Nelson's Interesting People with comedian Lars Kelly O. All right, let's get to my guest today. He has appeared on stage at Just for Last Comedy Festival in Montreal the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, the Halifax Comedy Festival. He's founded the Okanagan Comedy Festival, and it's still running, so that's a success. Uh, he can be heard, heard on CBC's Laugh Out Loud and on Sirius XM. He can also be seen on the Comedy Network, where he has a one-hour stand-up special. And if you have a fire pit, you may have seen him during his com- fire pit comedy tour. I'm saying the word comedy a lot. Um, so obviously he's he's a violinist. He just plays sad songs. No, he's a comedian. Lars Kellyo. Lars, how are you? I've never been better in this lifetime. How are you? 
I am I am doing fine. You know, I've been up since 3.30 this morning. That's my job. But I've been looking forward to this conversation all day. I'm very excited. Thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. If um, if you if we experience some delays or technical difficulties, I will kick it over to data. My Wi-Fi is pretty good, <laughs> but if you like it's uh, being a little bit choppy or slow, I will change um, direction with our connectivity. All right, no worries there. Uh, my one son who um, feels like he's anxious and anxiety and that all the time i had him on my one other podcast my top five podcast talking about dinosaurs and i created a monster lars he now podcasts like once a week a gamer podcast with his buddies so he's gonna go on and podcast tonight so i might have to switch to data as well it's the way of the world isn't it wi-fi <laughs> data uh, yeah. so how are things? How are you doing? How How's everything going in these wonderfully crazy times, if you can call them wonderful? You know, I've, I think I've been one of the luckiest comedians on the planet um, in the past, you know, 12 to 14 months. I don't know. Well, I guess it'd be so since last March, so call it 13 yep. months. I don't know if there's a comedian who's been luckier. And I think there's a feel a little bit of a guilt associated with having some good fortune because so many of your fellow entertainers are struggling the way they are. So you can't just shout from the rooftops, things are going okay, because there's so (laughs) many people in dire situations. um, You know, it's been (laughs) all entertainers, anybody in the arts field, doesn't matter if it's podcasting or being a rodeo clown or a musician or a of any kind because they love it it's always based on passion and all of my fellow comedians around the world perform because they love it and the fact that they can make (laughs) a living at it is just such a blessing but the fact that they've been shut down for over a year is is really that's the hardest part of all of this for me is to have been to have had some success and then Man, I wish everybody else had the same the same opportunities I did. Exactly, and that's it's funny because my list of questions I'd like to talk with you about. I my first one besides how are things is uh, a year ago, fourteen months, thirteen months ago, you were you were on tour down down under, I believe, right? You're in Australia, and that brought you back home because the pandemic broke out. And you, being a stand-up comedian, obviously you rely on butts and seats right that's who you're standing up in front of and thought must have crossed your mind like oh my god what do I do now how do I pay the bills how do I feed myself feed everybody I need to feed without putting butts in the seats so what was that moment like when that realization everything was getting shut down like what went through your mind well it was a it was you know being in Australia so I was supposed to be in Australia and Asia for about four and a half months and I was there for 11 days and ended up, you know, the prime minister came on TV and I, I'm not sure I would have come home if he didn't word it the way that he worded it. Right. He said, you need to come home while commercial travel is still available. And that was the line, like while commercial travel is still available, the idea of flights being shut down for who knows how long. And that was the line that made me 
go and change my flights and fly back to Canada. Flying back to Canada, I hoped it lasted two weeks, a month. You know, I really thought that they would get it figured out and maybe, you know, a quarantine would sort, you know, they'd figure out that there was some sort of treatment or, you know, a something that they could do in order to get us through this not none of us have experienced you know really this before mm-hmm. so not not I me mean, not since the spanish flu of 1918 but you know and and you know sars and, and yeah. mers and and uh, ebola but we hadn't experienced a global pandemic so you know i was oh my god i i'm grateful in that i have enough savings that i could have made it a year maybe two you know dipping into savings and and stuff. So not having a family to support, not having kids to feed, I was like, well, I'm okay, but still so concerned for all of my friends. And then 46 days between coming home and the first fire pit comedy show, mm-hmm. but not knowing, not having any idea when that next show would be and really being like, you know, you get to day 25. You get to day 35, you get to day 45, and you're like, how long between shows? I, <laughs> I, I hadn't, in the past, in the 10, in the 10 previous years, um, those are kids I have locked up if you're, if people are, if you're listening, <laughs> you're wondering. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you don't have them locked up because they're running around my house. <laughs> That's one of the, <laughs> one of my uh, riders in my contract is yeah, yeah. the host kids. of the podcast has to babysit. <laughs> yeah. For me. Yeah, just just to you know bring up the light in the mood because you're a serious violinist. You're not used to having so much excitement. Yeah. <laughs> sorry about that. They're gonna they're gonna scream and holler. I'm sorry. It's just the joy. Well, I can I can usually make it funny. Um, I don't doubt it. Yeah. So the that 45 days and then when things they opened up outdoor gatherings, Northern Alberta was one of the first places in the world to open because we had such low numbers mm-hmm. that they opened up outdoor gatherings of 15 and I just threw out the idea if anybody's having an outdoor gathering have you and 12 of your friends and I'll bring a sound system and and I'll do a show for you and it just kind of took on a life of its own it just snowballed into this everybody wanted one and there we weren't up against any sports nope. it was the beginning of May so things were starting to warm up they were opening up outdoor gatherings to more and more people. Um, all of the restaurants and bars and and comedy clubs were still closed. So we were, you know that scene in Forrest Gump when he's on the shrimp boat and there's a big storm mm-hmm. and all of the other all of the other shrimp boats are destroyed. And yep. then and then he goes, and after that, shrimping was easy. <laughs> yeah. That's that's how it felt in that we were the only game in town. There was no one else who was do, like, there was a couple of musicians, but we were the first to have the opportunity to perform to outdoor gatherings. And it took off in a way that I never would have dreamt. So we ended up doing between May 2nd and September 27th, we did 160 shows. Wow. And those we were doing on, on Saturdays, we did five shows every single Saturday all through June, July and the beginning of August. That's, that's, you know, that just made me think while you were talking about that going like 
fire pit to fire pit, backyard to backyard. That's like the roots of performing. If you think back to uh, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, whatever, performers would just travel around, right? Town to town, square to square, whatever. You kind of you were back in the pioneer days there. And even going back to, you know, one of the, th- I remember Mike McDonald, one of the best comedians yep. ever, and rest in peace, Mike McDonald. But I remember in 2005, he was, 2000, yeah, 2004, he was doing a workshop and he was telling a story and he goes you can go to any culture in history and they have the equivalent of a comedian whether it's a storyteller in tribes you know the, mm-hmm. the people that were the, the that's you know told handed down the stories through generations or any of that kind of stuff there's always been so even going back to like the times when you know there was a guy who would roll up in his stagecoach and tell a story to the people before that there was storytellers in all of the tribes around the globe, whether mm-hmm. you know it was Australia or Africa or, or North America. There's always been these storyteller type characters. So we were telling stories around fires. Yeah. So it co- goes back thousands of years, and we were, you know, we get, really got got down to it, the essence of what a comedian does, and that is just tell funny stories to you know to whoever's willing to listen. That's right, and willing to laugh, hopefully. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the I know the uh, the payoff is is in the laughs, right? Obviously, you get paid to do it, but you do it for the high on stage. Whether you're a singer, I like to act. I like to write plays. Put those on. Those came to a grinding halt here in in town where I am. But that you live for that on stage. Whether and I like to write comedies. So if you need a laugh, that's what you're waiting for. Is that first laugh and you can't fake funny, right? So yeah. you live off of that high. And if you're a singer, you live off of rock and out. I listened to Tom Jones do an interview today. He's 80 years old. And he said he still lives for that that high where it feels like you're going to fly off the stage when everybody's just rocking out with you. So you're out there, whether it's a thousand people or 15 or 12 people, and you live for the laughs, right? That's, that's the pay- ultimate payoff in what you do. It truly is. Um, the... I, I almost wish you I could just the scene in the Matrix when he just plugs in and he's like I know kung fu like that <laughs> like every teach you everything you need to know. Yeah. The the question is always funny when somebody goes, you know, what oh, like how did you get into comedy or what you know what made you want to be a comedian or um, you know those types of questions like oh how did you become a all of the professional headliners that I know, all of them, they do comedy because they love it. There's just a passion. And Jerry Seinfeld once said, if you don't have to do comedy, don't do comedy. It's the same with acting and theater. If you don't have to do it because it is the worst choice in the world, (laughs) it is the biggest grind and the most rejection and the most judgment and all of that. If you're willing to work hard to overcome all of that, because you need to be on stage, whether it's seeking the approval of the people or whether it's because you want to share your thoughts and ideas, whatever, that is truly, you could keep all of the money. And it's been my job now. I've been doing comedy, it'll be 18 years in May, but it's been my job for 12 years. And I love it more now than I've ever loved it. And I've, 
appreciated it more because it was taken away for 45 days that made me appreciate it and love it even more than I ever thought possible so yeah it really is just the laugh it is just that um forced response of laughter and that you have to make someone laugh <laughs> and when you leave there and they're like man I, I laughed so hard you're like well I mean that's the that's the goal <laughs> right like I I get it I um I really appreciate that because it's like they said there was a stat over 2 million podcasts in the world it's because people who want to entertain need to entertain I in my I think the fabric of my being is to entertain I am not getting paid for these podcasts. I don't have sponsors. That's not my goal. I just want to entertain and introduce myself to the world because I have a passion to bring information, some knowledge, whether or not I have that much. But entertainment, right? It's it's who I am. I'm an entertainer and I've found podcasting and I, I love podcasting. I like doing this. I started writing an audio drama. never think I could, thought I could and it's worked. And yeah, like you said, if you have to work, do it. You're yeah, don't do it. I I have to do it, right? I don't do it just for a job. I do it because I love to. And I admire your seeing you through social media and everything you're doing on social media. You're busy, you're working, you're grinding. You're not just living high on the hog type of thing, right? You're still working. You're still doing it not because you need the money like you said you had savings or have savings. You're doing it because it's who you are, right? Yeah. I, and I, you know, it sounds almost cliche. So I, in order to like Vulcan mind meld those thoughts and the feelings into people. So they go, oh, this person is just, and, and it's, it's possible that the people who do are just so broken that they need that acceptance and approval from strangers. <laughs> So you can shape it or frame it however you like, but that's, yeah. you know, I, I want people to like me and Sam Kinison, one of the greatest mm-hmm. comedians of all time, Sam Kinison said, you don't want 90% of the people to like you. You want 10% of the people. And right. That's the best way to do it in that you build a fan base of your real, I think I'm still, even after, you know, 17 years, I think I still sometimes tread a little too, you know, that like when I, I want to talk about corporate greed. I want to talk about, you know, the, the people who claim to be Christian who aren't. Those are the things I'd like to tackle those heavier thoughts and ideas. And I think I'm working yeah. toward it, but um, I, I think I'm the I've ever been, um, but I think there's lots of room to go. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think I have to stop wanting people to to just enjoy it. You know, I, I the example I use, and I've always loved this. If if you, so works. Mm-hmm. He the, they back then one of the things that they would often do is is the bowl of fruit. And if you Google Picasso bowls of fruit, you will see right. that he was he was the best. He was the absolute best at creating a 3D looking image with fruit. It was just phenomenal. His work was excellent. So he was the best at the basics, depth, shading, creating, creating fruit. He got so good at that that he went another direction and then took it to his absurdist, his blue, all of these different (laughs) things that he did. But first he learned the trade. First he learned the rules. 
And I think now, as far as joke structure and mechanics, I'm a pretty good joke writer. Now take the, those skills you've learned and apply them to your real emotions about something. So make corporate greed funny and poignant. Mm-hmm. I want it to be, I want to, you know, I watch some, you know, when you watch somebody like Bill Burr or Jim Jeffries or Sarah Silverman or um, Nikki Glaser, you get to see their perspective and you get to see how they craft these so beautifully that they're just truly masters at it. You know, Dave Chappelle is so incredible at taking a heavy thought or an idea, turning it on its head, shining a light on it, having a social commentary, but most importantly, getting laughs. Like just, just They're just so great at what they do. And I think that that's what most comedians should aspire to, is to, to tackle heavy topics and make it funny. And the things they care about the most. Well, it's, it's easy to um, expand or you know, build on something, a topic that is something you're invested in or care about, right? So agree. you can, you can talk, probably remember your, your lines or your, your jokes easier if it's something you're familiar with. And then, like you said, you build off the basics and that's kind of like a sword, right? You can have the sharpest sword in the world, but it still gets dull and you still have to work on it and hone it and keep, keep grinding away at it to make it better and better, right? I guess the day you stop and say, oh, that's it. Uh, Lars, I can't get any better than this. You're probably in trouble, <laughs> right? When you're brushing your teeth, looking in the mirror, and you're like, doesn't get any better than where I'm at now. It's time to retire. <laughs> well, yeah, that's absolutely. Um, I watched a show. I was in. I go to New York every summer up until last year. Yeah. <laughs> and I was watching a show where I think they were recording it for Comedy Central. I wasn't on it. Um, I watched the first comedian go up and do about. 10 to 15 minutes and crush so hard that I didn't think it was possible for anybody to follow what they did. It was one of the greatest sets I've ever seen in my life. The next comedian went up and was even better. And I honestly, I, it was like watching Gretzky in his prime. It was like watching <laughs> Jordan that I'm like, I didn't think anybody could be better than this. And there were eight comedians on the bill and every single one of them Shell Wolf went up. I think she was sixth or seventh, sixth. She went up with original thoughts and original ideas and real perspective, a real point of view, and crushed as hard as I've ever seen anyone crush in my life. And every comedian was so good. I watched that show and I'm like, I shouldn't do comedy. I should just quit. Like, I don't know if I will ever be (laughs) that good. They were, every single one of them was just on another level and I mean they, they were the best of the, the Dave Attells and Michelle Wolfs yeah. and they were all the best of but they did comedy to perfection they were beautiful like it was so beautiful to watch and I just sat there in awe of the level of talent so there's a, I watching a show like that or watching somebody there's a comedian if people are familiar with Nikki Payne she's a comedian from the East Coast Nikki Payne, when you watch her work, she will make you laugh so hard you will beg for mercy. And when I see, see somebody who's that good, um, it does make you want to work harder and be better, but it also makes you question whether or not you should even do it. <laughs> am I, am like, I in I, the right profession, job, career path? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's I'm like, ah, yeah. they're doing something I don't know is if, if, yeah. if, I, if I'm capable of. But you aspire to be that good. Yeah. It's so like playing pl- playing the video game and going, when did I switch it to super hard? What? What? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but so okay, you're 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 on the list of of comedians, and you're second, third, fourth. Pick your spot whether it's at a festival or whatever and you're watching backstage in the wings and you see comedian a go on and and crush it and the next one crushes it are you starting to get nervous or does that jack you up like in hockey put me out next coach put my line out we're ready to build on the like how does that go for you and maybe for most comedians like what's the average does it scare some does it you know uh, what i mean i think it depends who you are and most comedians who reach the headliner level are pretty competitive you know, you really, you really want to be good, and you—the reason that you got to that level is because you, you, you want to, and, and you yep. want it. You know, get, you know, when there's one shot left, and and I want the ball. You know, I want, mm-hmm. I want to be the one taking that shot. I, I was really fortunate in the beginning of my career. I was um, the comic strip. I started in 2003. The comic strip, a comedy club in Edmonton, opened up in 2004. So I was one year in. I just won a big amateur competition. And I got to work the comic strip every other weekend. I was one of the house MCs. I got to work every other weekend for about four years. And I worked with some of the best comedians in the world. So Rick Bronson, who owns the comic Mm -hmm. strip and also um, a club in Phoenix and a club in um, uh, Minneapolis. So he was the seven-time college comedian of the year. Phenomenal comedian. So when he would host, about, I don't know, probably like one of every four or five weekends, I would be the middle act. Right. So Rick, Rick, he ripped the room apart. 20 years in the game, one of the best comedians there is, absolutely ripped the room apart. And then here I am two years into comedy, three years into comedy and I have to follow that I I remember it like it was yesterday it was 2005 and I was bombing because he buried me and somebody in the audience goes like just get this guy off the stage and I was a good comedian like and I you know I I'm as humble as the like I, I'm, I was good for a young comic but I couldn't hold a candle to a 20-year vet so I spent probably three weeks, four weeks out of the year having my fucking head ripped off. <laughs> no, it's it's all right. right. I got I got the E rating checked for yeah. all my podcasts. Uh, by Rick Bronson. And and I learned how to make it my crowd over time. Like it it took me two years to learn how to follow somebody who was tearing the room apart. You have to address it. I mean, it really is the elephant in the room. You you have to go up and he, even if it's only, how funny was that person? Mm-hmm. If just saying that, that, everybody's like, oh good, this person knows what's going on. Right. So so first you, you have to address it. If you don't, and then make it your crowd by telling a very funny joke confidently. Yeah. You're like, I can do this now. Um, I was, you know, your question is such a great question. 17, 16 years in comedy. Um, I was at the Hubcap Comedy Festival, February of 2020. Now, how the lineups work comedy festivals, one of the best comedy festivals in the world, is there's three headliners 
doing 30 minutes each. So it'll mm-hmm. be one headliner doing 30 minutes, and then they'll often go off to a second. They're doing 30 minutes. So the audience gets to see three different headliners all doing a half hour, which is a nice amount of time. For whatever reason, and to this day, I don't know why, the festival had me closing all of the shows I was on. Now, even at 16 or 17 years, I would have been the least senior comedian on a lot of these shows. So there would be peak of the comedians that I was at the time. Those other comedians have to rush off to another show. So they're mm-hmm. not putting you last because you're the funniest. They're putting you last because they need that other comedian somewhere else. Right. So I had to follow some of the best comedians Canada has ever produced. And when I saw the lineups, I was I, like, imagine a cartoon character swallowing. <laughs> like, you see, they're like, gulp. Like that yeah. sound of like... <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know how this lineup ended up this way. I just assumed because of scheduling, because of a need for the other person to have to leave. But I was following a comedian named Mike Wilmot, who is pound for pound, one of the best comedians on the planet. And I looked at that and I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) Like, I was like, yeah, I got this. Yeah, I can do this. (laughs) I was like, oh boy. Like you following Rick for all of those years taught me that I was capable of it. I'm like, I can, I can do this, but it's going to, you got to be sharp. Like you can't be up there goofing around. You have to go up there and you, you are calm because the audience can sense it. If you're a little bit uncertain. Mm Mm-hmm water and they're sharks they're not going to buy into it so you have to go like not my show now but you're not i don't go into a situation so angelo sarukis who is just such a monster oh my good and so gracious he's such a wonderful person and he's a killer comedian so he had to go off to another show so i'm following angelo sarukis which there's nobody if if there was only one show and we were all on the same show i'm going first on that show every time not because I would ask to, I would go wherever they, you know, wherever the booker put me in the lineup, but they just look at the seniority and the level of these other comedians. I mean, Lars is a good comic, but he's going to go first here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that whole festival, I did five shows. Again, I really believe because of scheduling, but I went in like, oh my goodness, I did not have an easy show. Every single one of those the room apart every single one so every single show i was i had to be the sharpest i've ever been and when i finished the weekend like a a scene from a like a boxer who had been through 15 rounds was sitting in his (laughs) dressing room by just shell-shocked and like oh god rocky and ivan drago like like just (laughs) grueling I left there um, more confident than I've ever been because if you asked me, if you showed me those lineups on Wednesday, I would have been like, oh my God, what are something? Yeah. And I left there going, I didn't look out of place. I didn't get blown off the stage. The audience didn't leave feeling like the order should 
mean, there's nothing wrong with changing those lineups. Yeah. But I, I hung on. I, I, I held my own, and I was of holding my own. Than I've ever my career. I was like, Whew. I mean, that was a tall order, and I felt like, like okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's kind of that whole like opportunity knocks, right? And you gotta either slam the door and hide, or walk through the darn door. Yeah. And I, the, if I, if and when I go back to that festival, just twice out of five. <laughs> a little less stress, a little less. Like, uh, just, uh, just let me be the, just put me in the. Like I want to headline every show. I yeah. Like Nikki, Nikki Payne before me. I look at that lineup and I'm like, yep, this isn't gonna go well. <laughs> well, and and I think if you're headline, you're f- wrapping it up you're probably so nervous at times that you're missing all the good comedy as well, right? Like, you're thinking, what am I doing going last? Oh my... And does that happen? Uh, Do you just tunnel vision or do you take it all in backstage? Well, I love... I love watching comedy and I love doing it. I I don't know if I've ever... Um, I grew up on stage singing with my parents' band. So being on stage really feels like second nature. So I don't... And... Like, I, I wouldn't use the word nervous, but like that anxious feeling of like, when I'm watching Angelo or Wilmot rip it up or Rick Bronson or somebody like that. I'm like, oh boy, this is okay. You better be good tonight. So I, I watch the comedy and watching a, a mass master painter. I watch mm-hmm. them and go like... They're just so great. So, so I'm, I'm appreciative of what they're doing. And often, like watching somebody like a Kathleen Madigan, I've toured with her a bunch. I watch them and go, yeah, they're doing comedy on another level. They're another gear that I, wow, they're masters. And I'm, the, I, I'm like, you put us on a show together. If you want put... Martin Kathleen Madigan, the casual observer, somebody who'd been to a comedy show twice a year for 10 years, would go, yeah, that was a good show. He was a, somebody who really, like, really knows comedy. They'd be like, yeah, those other two did comedy where they they had their own perspective. They really, they, they tackled heavier thoughts and ideas. Lars was doing funny jokes about a lazy suit. <laughs> <laughs> Susan. Yeah. I'll tell it just in case your audience is I wrote a new joke. <laughs> oh, you, you got a new joke, do you? Yeah, this is it, I actually I it, but again, I write a silly joke about a lazy Susan. Cat, <laughs> you know, the the Republican Party, you know, yeah. uh, agenda. So it's, it's different, but the idea I, I thought I go if you don't think the patriarchy exists if you don't think men have called the shots for way too long, there was a woman who invented a device that would help you retrieve your canned goods from the back of your pantry or cupboard. Like, look at super easy. Look at that. You know, I got my soup. Did they call her innovative, Susan? <laughs> I like it. I like it. Susan the inventor. <laughs> Did they call her Susan the inventor? Yeah. Like, no. Like, wow, lazy Susan over here. 
Did they, um, did so, they call her Susan Mother of or Necessity? Yeah, is the mother of invention? Sure. Yeah. Uh, no. Nope. Hey, you know what? I would laugh because I I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> Imagine if it would have been Steve who invented it. It'd be brilliant, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Just spin the brilliant Steve around. You're right. Yeah. It's yeah. Definitely. So anyway. Uh, I want to go back to when you were talking about Rick Brunson on stage when you first started out and it kind of glitched. What was the, the heckler said in the, in the audience or the fans were saying to you? So this would have been, been 2005, very clearly. So Rick had, I was a, a man, it was a Friday or Friday early show or Saturday early show and he just, Rick tore it up. He was hosting yeah. and he just, I have to follow this as a, kid who's been doing comedy for two years and i'm mm-hmm. uh, eight minutes set and this guy in the audience goes bring rick back <laughs> yes we want that other guy <laughs> just, just, and just 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 and like not it didn't even feel like a heckle it was just a statement like yeah. bring rick back and i'm just and like oh god yeah i i can't argue with that kind of mentality at that moment hey yeah precisely and I watched me and I know that these are and, it, and that really did teach me how to deal with those moments so mm-hmm. the you learn quickly if somebody's burying you every yeah. night you're like oh, I gotta figure this out yeah so um anyone who you know falls down the YouTube hole which is really easy uh you'd see like Jimmy Carr and it seems that his thing is waiting for hecklers to come at him Right, because he's got the one-liners. Is there a playbook to use for hecklers and guys who are being pricks? Do you pull those out of here and just you have certain go-to lines, or is it spur of the moment, just improvise? In the beginning, I think uh, comedians often go to a line. Yep. So I think that in the beginning, when you don't have your own approach, um, you you can you know it's. So that people go to that. I I remember when I was starting out in comedy, there were two comedians where the door got not to intervene if there was a heckler. So Rick Bronson mm-hmm. was one of them. So they said if these if somebody heckles, just let the comedian deal. I've watched Rick take a heckler and shred them to pieces. Learning that like about that. I, I want to be where I can make the show hilarious if somebody heckles. Right. And a comedian named John a couple of neat, taught me a couple of neat tricks in the beginning. And that was, you have to repeat what the heckler said. Right. If somebody heckles and repeat what the person said, anybody in the back of the room who missed what the heckler said will then be in on the joke. So whether it's like, exactly. hey, nice shirt or said. Now everybody is in on it. Now mm-hmm. it also gave it gave you a beat. It gave you a moment to think about a response. It's possible, and this is all John Wayne's advice. It's possible that the heckler said something that will get you a laugh. So if you repeat it and people laugh, that counts as your laugh. Like the encourage people to heckle, don't heckle. But <laughs> right, yeah, that, you don't want an audience of hecklers. But that beat of me repeating it, if I get a laugh, I don't have to share my pay with a heckler. I got a laugh. Yep. 
And now I have time to formulate where I'm, the direction I'm going to take with this. Now, there are some people like a Jim Gaffigan mm-hmm. who just, just literally, I've seen him literally say, somebody heckled and he said, yeah, I don't do that. And he just went back into his act. So you can just as easily he say. He just shot it down. Yeah. yeah, he's like, yeah, I don't, like, I don't deal because you know yeah you know there's that guy or guys or women whatever someone in an audience feels they're going to take it upon themselves to be the smart ass right the funny yep. the funny uh-huh. guy even though no one paid to see you cup yep. be the heckler in the audience but like you said if you can, you can take it and make it everyone in on the joke and then respond or yeah, I guess you can stone cold shut it down that's going to you know castrate everybody in the audience from trying to do that yep um, I, I like to, my vision for how a comedian should look, and this is just my own personal opinion, mm-hmm. that is the comedian should look in control at all times. It's like a pilot. You don't want your pilot coming on being like, <laughs> hey, does anybody know where we're going? Like you, in that moment, you're, you'd be terrified. So a comedian should always look in control. And if somebody is throwing something up, I like to spin it into something funny. I like to, to make, I don't want people heckling, but I'm going to embarrass that person. I'm going to make them look stupid. Yep. The show moving forward. I want that show to be funny no matter what. Well, and that's what you got to do, right? Like, like you said, you don't want the pilot coming on. Holy shit, the plane's on fire. We're going to crap, right? You want the pilot come on. This is your captain speaking. Everything's under control. Don't worry, right? You know? Yep. Because that's what you're you're paying for. If you're paying to see a comedian, you're paying for some professionalism, right? As yeah, an and, audience and, member. Yeah, and I don't want to give people license. Any? No, no, no. That was a fan. I want them to understand most of the stuff when a comedian takes the deliberate. Like I deliberately chose all of these words when I wrote these jokes, <laughs> and I've polished these jokes over hundreds and hundreds of shows, and I want to. Per- like somebody would in a theater and I have a funny it sounds a bit egomaniacal but I have this thing where I go if somebody heckles I go okay look you're heckling a comedian and I'm gonna say go ahead and heckle but you have to heckle everywhere you gotta go to karaoke and heckle mm-hmm. you you I want you to heckle at church <laughs> yeah the priest or pastor yeah I want any live performance that's taking place you you have to make it fair heckle everyone I go, then it's fair. I go, if you are at a kid's recital, you have to heckle that kid's recital. You have to, otherwise it's not fair. You're, you're, you know, it's not equal. So if you heckle at a kid's recital and they go, dude, what are you doing? And you just be honest, just say, oh, it turns out I'm a fucking asshole. <laughs> you wanna be fair because yeah. that's the reason you're heckling is because you're a piece of shit. So yeah. just say, just look around and be like, you're, you're, a, you're, a, you're a terrible tree kid. And people go, why are you heckling a kid? You go, oh no, I heckled at a comedy show. Yeah. I'm a piece of human garbage who doesn't know how to act at a live event. <laughs> how to behave. So, yeah, so I have to do this to be fair to everyone. So I'm just garbage. I'm just a garbage human being. And usually that, you know. Yeah, you know what? That is a great response. And that should tell anyone listening, don't don't heckle. Because if you are, the requirement is you got to do it everywhere. You know, it's, it's kind of like I referee hockey forever. I'm turning 42 so this, since 18, and I always have coaches scream offside or, or whatever, you know, yeah. roughing rugby. That guy's offside. This is how, 
whatever. And it's like, listen, coach, I don't tell you how to do your job. Just <laughs> coach your team and don't coach me. Am I perfect? By no means. But you know what? Just focus on what you're supposed to. And if you're sitting in an audience and I've been to, you know, the comic strip, my wife and I like to go out there on dates. You know, it's always good. Comedy's fun. It's good to laugh. Forget about things. That's what art's art's great for, right? You can forget about the real world for a while. But some guys just can't shut the fuck up. And it starts to get embarrassing, right? Not for the person they're heckling, just for that guy. It's like, shut up, man. And it's usually well, the guy who ha- can't handle his drinks and has never grown up yet. Yep. <laughs> That's and I, what I find. Most I can shut so I can usually shut them down by making it, you know, making something funny yep. and being sh- shaming them a little, like saying, like, just admit you're a piece of garbage mm-hmm. and it's fine. I'm, I love know, that. We, we all can tell. Yeah. Um, if they continue after I've made it funny, I've got, you know, got laughs at their expense, I've embarrassed mm-hmm. them, I've made them look stupid. If they continue for a long time, what I do is I say to them, and, and I, years ago, I said, I'll stop and I'll just say, I want you to know you're not ruining my show. You're not. Right. I do this 400 times a year. I do this again tonight. I do this twice tomorrow. I'm not thinking about you when I go on stage at the 10 o'clock show. You're not ruining my show. There's somebody here. It's their birthday or mm-hmm. it's their or it's their anniversary or they just returned from serving overseas. They've hired a babysitter. They have a babysitter at home that they're paying so they can come out and enjoy some entertainment. You're not ruining my show. You're ruining their show. So when they're driving home tonight, they're going to say, I wish that person would have shut up because you're ruining their show. I do this again, again, and again, and again, and again. It doesn't affect me. I like, I'm like I, I go after the show, I, you know, I head home and I'm like, yeah, hey, the show was okay, except for that one idiot. But all of those other people who get out once a month, you know, a few times a year, you've ruined their show, yeah. their experience. That's whose show you're ruining. So you think like, oh, I disrupted the show. Yep, you did for someone else. Yeah. 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 I think they forget they're not the first to do that to you or any comedian on stage. They won't be the last and they're nothing special. Like you said, they've just ruined someone else's good night. You know, you're collecting your check going home. You got your laughs. You got your high. You you know, you moved on from there. So, well, great. That was, I didn't expect a, such a long conversation on hecklers, but I'm glad that you made some wonderful points. I, that's not stuff I never would have thought of. So thank you for that. Um, let's go back to the very beginning. So before Lars decided I'm going to be a comedian, what was it that made you go? That's it. I'm going to be a comedian. What was it? Did you get fired? Did you need work? What What was it that got you into comedy? Or were you just always funny and you're like, I'm going to be a comedian when I grow up? Well, I remember being about six years old when I heard my first joke. And I memorized the joke and I would tell it. And then I really liked telling jokes. So my parents got me a joke book. I would have been six or seven when I got my first joke book. And then I continued from the time I was eight or 10 years old till. And I memorized between 5,000 and 10,000 street jokes. Nice. And when Annie's evening at the improv 
on, I was glued to the TV. I could memorize a comedian set, a five minute set, watching it once. And to this day, if I watch a headliner do 45 minutes, I can often recite almost their entire set from just seeing it one time. Um, the mechanics are similar, you know, it's like you yeah. and the formula and if you understand the premise, it's easy to put it. I've always loved since the time I was and then my parents were professional musicians so being on stage all the time as a you know trying to sing as a kid and and I had a band in high school and I was a dreadful musician I I gave up the last time I was on stage playing any kind of music and I was really bad I was 21 we had one last one last gig in university and I gave up on the dream of ever being a musician and then I had thought about doing stand-up comedy my whole life my whole life somebody on tv doing stand-up and telling jokes um so when I was 26 years old I signed up for an open mic in Edmonton and I I spent probably two month and a half writing jokes and rehearsing my first ever show on May 18th, 2003. And, but as far as, you know, thinking I'm going to be a comedian, 18 years later, I still don't think you can <laughs> be a comedian. Yeah. I still don't. I, I wake up in the morning and I think, oh, I have a show tomorrow. But I'm like, I, I don't know. I, do, I just, like, I just love the, the craft so much. But I still don't think you can do it for a living. Like I, mm-hmm. I like, and I've been the luckiest person in the world. But I, I, I don't know. It's just it seems like um, it seems like I got I had the cheat code, where now I just get to tell jokes for a living. It's mm-hmm. it's it's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. <laughs> well, and hey, you're gonna ride that, right? So ride it. You're doing well at it. So you go back to your first gig. Um, out of five stars, how well did it go? <laughs> For a first time, I would give it exactly the same first time rating as everybody else I've ever seen for the first time. Like, I got laughs, but I watched that set and it looks like stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going through the motions, you have the, the hey, here's, it, it looked like somebody... Right. Um, it, it was funny, you know. Every the response was fine, and I have it on video. Um, it's incredibly painful to watch because I, I, I can, you know, I can see that I think I, I got it figured out. Like I think, like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this a few times. <laughs> the night show is gonna call. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm really glad that I did it, um, and every complimentary but it was your first time when a right or any comedian comes up to me after their first time and they're like what did you think i'm like keep doing it like yeah but do you have any pointers i'm like look uh, keep doing it just do this over and over and over and over and over you work hard and edit you're going to become good at this like it's there's no i wish there was a shortcut Right. Um, so yeah, it, it was good. It was a good, good set for a first time. But I, I didn't, you know, I, I I didn't blow anybody out of the 
I looked, I watched the set and I'm like, yeah, it was exactly the way it should have looked. It was like to give a, to give an equivalent. Imagine somebody was, um, let's say somebody was skating for the first time. They put on skates. They've seen other people skate. They understand the fundamentals of push off and move forward. And then you see the person learning how to figure out their balance and learning how to do this. And, and you're, you're like, Hey, how did I do? Well, you look like somebody who was skating for the first time. You, you were yep. fine. Like whether yep, you were an athlete or <laughs> yeah, that's the first step. You succeeded. You got through the first step. So, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. It's a good analogy. It's a good way of putting it. It's in so many things, right? Whether it's professional careers as, you know, a pilot or the guy sweeping floors in a, in a school, your first day is your first day, right? You're not going to have it all down and you're going to look like somebody on their first time, first day right so i was just wondering if it was one you wanted to forget but you clearly have video of it so you can't forget there oh Oh, you lost me there yeah just for uh just for yeah yeah yeah, yeah, just how it's like anybody in their first time in anything they do right it's just their first time so yeah yeah uh so you've toured a lot you've been around the world quite a bit i just want to go to a little bit of your bio here um some things you've toured with miss joan rivers jeff foxworthy bob saget melbourne australia or melbourne i should say not melbourne uh since 2015 obviously not this last year because covid thanks covid bridgetown comedy festival in portland the boston comedy festival world series of comedy in las vegas halifax comedy festival it goes on and on and on out of all those places is were all of those targets you wanted to do or were some and where's the one stage you want to perform on before you die having traveled as much as i have with my parents growing up so we toured with the band for eight years travel has just always been a part of the job Mm -hmm. so the travel aspect of comedy know if there was anybody or or anywhere that i really deliberately wanted to go to like i don't know if i'm like oh my god i want to perform in probably new york if you want to perform in new york um las vegas was really cool that was a fun one um and it happened you know i was a happy happy accident and that i was opening for brad garrett his club was opening up a few months later in las vegas and he invited me down and he he's like here's my phone number call me i'd love you to come play my club and that was you know that was pretty cool um, the, the, everywhere I've been, wherever I go, and it's going to sound like, it's going to sound like a line, but I mean it from the bottom of my heart, whether I'm in Winnipeg or Lloyd Minster or, uh, Medicine Hat, wherever I am, if I get to do a show, I'm delighted <laughs> to be wherever I am. Um, I really want to perform in Antarctica. Well, why not? I want to do a show in Antarctica. There's research stations in a few different places, and there's mm-hmm. ships that go there. My bucket list. Um, second on my bucket list would be um, Africa. I haven't done any shows anywhere on the African continent. So if I can do shows in Africa and Antarctica, then I would have done comedy on all of the continents. Well, you know, there's mountain climbers climb all the seven summits on every continent. You want the seven summits of comedy. Yeah. 
and uh, I do believe there's one one comedian. I be- I'm not sure. I think that Desero has performed on all the all the continents. So I wouldn't be the first, but for my own, um, I have to ask him. I should I should call Matt Desero. Look him up. D I Desero is wonderfully funny. Tell him you heard him on this podcast. Um, he's so great. Uh, but I'd I'll like tell to him you recommended has. him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Africa and Antarctica are the two places I'd really. And I mean, I, I, there's a South Africa and Johannesburg mm-hmm. that you could do, but military bases in and around Africa that, that you can do shows on. And that's another one you've got here. You've you've entertained the troops, both American and Canadian. Is it three times for the American, two for the Canadians, or have I got that backwards? No, that's right. Yeah, three three American. I'm being tours. distracted by a daughter who wants a popsicle. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna make you come on and talk to my guest. Every, in my other podcast, every time a child comes in, I say, this show is sponsored by Great Value Walmart Popsicles, but <laughs> she's going for the freezies today. Yeah. Pineapple, look at you. Yes, we feed them sugar. So, uh, yeah, so the touring, doing for the trip, that's got to be an honor, right? These guys wake up, these men and women, they, they lay their lives on the line so you can tell jokes. And so I can do what I do and we can all do what we do. That's got to be a great honor. It's probably the biggest honor of anything I've ever done in my life, not just in comedy. They, I, I, I never want to sound insincere. I really, from the bottom of my heart, I say everybody owes the military a debt of gratitude for the freedoms that we have. I think that comedians owe the military just a little more. <laughs> I think because I can stand and free, speak freely, not be, not fear any kind of prosecution for the words and things that I say, somebody sacrificed for that. And it means the world to me. So when I get to do a military tour, it is the most special moment of my career. All of the other things are amazing. The people that I've toured with and the, the cool places I've been, but the military ones are the ones that really are truly special. And again, I you know, it's, it just sounds cliche to mm-hmm. it. Well, yeah, you know, I, I get into conversations with with people all the time where you know you watch Peter Jackson did they'll they'll never grow old, a documentary where they're just reading letters for like two and a half hours. I watched it on a flight over to England. I go to England quite often good friend of mine lives there and it's just these guys in world war one that signed up to fight at 15 they were 15 year old boys not men boys and the sergeant in there would say how old are you and they're like 15 and goes outside go outside have three more birthdays and come back in and they just exit and come back in how old are you 18 like the sacrifice and and that's just in two world wars but stuff that they're doing now that you know the news is never going to tell us what's actually going on, you know, and I don't think they do it to be, t- oh, I'm in the Canadian military and I've done this to say, right, they're never going to be that proud. They're not like that, the men yeah. and women, but just, it's amazing. I, I would never do it. You know, I'll play video games and play Call of Duty and that, but I went pu- paintballing my very first time and I was dead within three seconds because tunnel- I was just in like a panic. My heart's, I'm like, what? And then this guy shot me from 10 feet away to my side. And I was like, I don't know how guys do this with real bullets. You know, it's amazing the sacrifices they make. And they tour, 
months on end and leave family and friends behind and don't know if they're coming back. So that, and it sounds cliche, but it isn't for every one of us listening. You know, it's not, it's, it's a tremendous honor what they do and to be able to do that would be awesome. I would, I always am proud to see men and women in uniform in the military. They always whip by here on their way to Winnipeg or, um, uh, which were Wainwright from Edmonton. So anytime I see them, I'm, I'm proud of what they do. And I'm glad men and women in sports and comedy and all that movies go and entertain them because they deserve it. They deserve the red carpet treatment. Yeah, I fully agree. So, yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I know it sounds cliche, but I think that's one cliche we can all go, it's not cliche, it's 100% true. Um, so, where are you originally from? Are you from the Edmonton area, or did you end up in Edmonton, or how did you, or are you always from this this part of the country? Well, I was born in Fort St. John, B.C. So I was born in northern British Columbia, and when I was five years old, my parents had a hit record. So I went to kindergarten in Fort St. John, and for the next eight years of my life, we were on tour with my parents' band. Yep. So you were busy at a young age. Yeah, we we toured. My mom homeschooled three kids in hotel rooms. We didn't have a didn't have a house. We were just on tour mm-hmm. for about fifty weeks a year. And and people are like, "Where are you from?" And I'm like, "Well, that's a tough question." <laughs> I'm from I everywhere, was, man. Yeah, I was <laughs> born, but I spent the majority of my childhood in hotels on the road, moving every single week. And I, somebody's like, "I moved a lot as a kid." I'm like, "Oh, how many times did you?" Move? <laughs> I'm like, "Oh." I moved approximately 380 times <laughs> in a year, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what kind of music do they do? What was their album? What were they? What was what were they singing to? The band was called Columbian Gold Rush, so they played the original. And their mm-hmm. their album, their first album was called Part Time Country Star. And that was the title track that charted on Billboard and got them, won them some awards. And, and we, uh, we just took them on tour and spent the next eight years of my life living in hotel rooms. So any siblings? How many siblings you said? Your brothers and sisters? I got an older sister and a younger brother, and they are both musically gifted. They can both play. And, uh, <laughs> and, then, that, and then there's Lars. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, hey, like I said, art is such an amazing thing and because there's different types of painting, there's different types of music, there's dis- different types of acting and performing and, and comedy. So if you look at the comedy, there's straight stand-up, you know, there's this, the, the wholesome comedians who never swear, there's the ones who swear, there's the ones who are ventriloquists, there's all that. What type of comedian would you classify yourself as in that art form? I... I didn't realize this till I was in quite a few years into comedy. I think that my I would consider myself a little clever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think it's just so <laughs> to call yourself a smart comedian. Um, <laughs> I've I've seen smart comedians. Erwin Barker is a smart comedian. There's a lot of smart comedians. I consider myself a clever, a little clever. My dad really told a lot of jokes he passed away before i ever did if he ever saw me do comedy but um he his jokes were implied mm-hmm. and when i when i realized years later that a lot of my jokes you know when i tell the lazy susan joke i actually never say the term lazy susan right 
so I'd say there's a woman who invented this thing. Did they call her innovative Susan? Mm-hmm. You know, they, yeah. like you said, it's all implied. So yeah. you kind of have to put the pieces of the puzzle together yourself. And that really kind of sums up my comedy. I, I tell this one joke. Uh, I go, I really like daylight savings time because that's the only night of the year I can make love for an hour and three minutes. <laughs> ah, nice. And the the punchline, you have to kind of it's simple. It's not it's not smart. Like you don't have to. It doesn't take it's you know it's not it doesn't take a brain surgeon to put it together. But you still have to put those pieces together yourself. Mm-hmm. It's like you assemble the punchline. And a lot of my comedy is like assembled. And I I really love it when the audience comes along with you and starts understanding your sensibility and your sense of humor and they start realizing that they have to pay just a little bit of attention and then once they get by into that i can kind of take them on the journey with me and mm-hmm. they 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 figure you out so clever is i mean i i i just think silliness and and fun but i think the best comedians i've ever seen take on some some real serious topics and make them funny so right. i i would aspire to be the Jim Jeffries or, you know, somebody who's like a Kathleen Madigan or Joan, Joan Rivers was fantastic at it. Mm-hmm. So those people are phenomenal. I, uh, that was going to be my follow-up question is if you could do one type, what would be that? And you mentioned it earlier and you just did again, that kind of take on an issue and that and make us all laugh because issues divide everybody, but you know, laughter is universal, right? It's funny is funny. Yeah, if in most can, in most situations, right? You know, I watched Doug Stanhope. Doug, Doug Stanhope's in, he tackles the heaviest topics. And um, for your listeners, this next this next little bit is a heavyish topic. It's um, but it's a Doug Stanhope bit that I watched him do live, and I was like, man, what a fantastic bit! And it was so simple, but it really shone a light on how something doesn't make sense. And when you see Doug Stanhope do that, you're like, what a, wow, why didn't I think of that? So he talked about, um, there was a a guy, he actually won Defensive Player of the Year in um, college, in one of the divisions of college football, he won Defensive Player of the Year, but he was openly gay. And he was one of the first openly gay football players. And Doug Stanhope said, there was a lot of people like, oh, I wouldn't want that guy on my team. I don't want to have to shower with him. And this is a Doug Stanhope bit. And he's talking about how he's like, so these guys' biggest concern is showering with a guy who, who's gay. And he goes, all of these football players are multimillionaires. Go down to Home Depot and build some shower stalls. <laughs> like, if, why are they still showering in a communal shower? <laughs> They're millionaires. Yeah. <laughs> and the simplicity of how he broke that down, he also tackles the heavier issue at hand of like homophobia but he does it in a way where you're like so your concern is a communal shower you're worth a hundred million dollars get a shower stall like yep and and that like just to have seen that angle and to have tackled this really heavy topic of of the the ridiculousness of homosexuality or of uh of um homophobia um, homophobia. thank you yes like why like this is not it doesn't matter like it truly love is love and I, and 
when I see somebody who who is homophobic or or you know an Islamophobe, or I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like you like educate yourself. Like I, you know, I have very little patience for that and um, none whatsoever. But how simply he did that, it made you go, oh man, why didn't I think of that? Like how great was that angle of tackling this heavy topic and while at the same time making it funny. Yeah. Um, he also Doug Stanhope did this tremendous bit about. Um, mental like mental illness and he talked about how it's easy to get a gun it's easy to get liquor but how hard it is for you to get help if you suffer from some if you have some mental health issues Mm -hmm. and he he tackles really heavy topics makes them funny and um and really makes you think but but while you're busting a gut laughing he's just a master at it so i would love i would love to be able to tackle these massive giant topics of the you know inequalities of things and and you know the the there's so many great great takes on like you know feminism and trying to find equality the fact that like people you know as somebody who's a middle-aged straight white male i look at that and and the lug and a lot of the people are holding on to trying to con- hold on to this power and that's why they fear change you know whether it was affirmative action years ago or whether it was you know a civil rights movement or any of these things it's just straight white guys trying to hold on to power and they shouldn't want that there should be you know acceptance and diversity and equality and love and all of those things and i love the liberal arts you know in the theater world you must see it especially doing the writing is that there is, I, i mean i'm sure there is but it feels like there's less judgment for those things like it's like the, the community just is accepting mm-hmm. if you can act if you can sing if you can tell jokes if you can play an instrument you you're a part of it you're a part you're with us come with us and yeah. we're against anybody who would you know who would be against any kind of real love like that community like all of these things they deserve the exact same rights as everyone else and that's i want to tackle these things i want to talk about these things but as a, if you're if you're a, a keynote speaker you can do whatever you want if your title is comedian if you're tackling these topics you have to make them funny that's you right you have to you know while while you have a social commentary going on you are obligated it is your job to be getting laughs throughout that possible you've seen the great people do it um so i that's who i'd love to be that's who i aspire to be that's who i who i want to be as a comedian well you know it's it's funny you mentioned it like arts just it is an accepting community because individuality is what makes everyone unique and we should celebrate that and no matter how you love love is love like you said and i again it's it's hard i'm turning 42 i'm a white guy i've gone to church and people as soon as they hear i go to church they just want to turn away from me and i'm i'm like i don't do that i don't do the judging i don't do any of that i have family members who are are lesbian or homosexual and i have a father who told us all no matter what he's always going to love us you know my dad always said doesn't matter what you do when i may be upset i'm always going to love you and that's love love is like that right and 
I I just yeah I'm tired of the world and the people who hate everything it's like you know what I hate Calgary Flames and the Toronto Maple Leafs but none of the people per se I just hate the hockey teams that's where I (laughs) hate is in sports but you know what I mean I don't direct because I don't want I'm a father I have a son who is in nursing school actually graduated becoming a nurse and then my wife Megan and I we have seven children together seven children in seven years and I want these seven to grow up accepting and loving everybody no matter their color their race their beliefs anything just because we all have hearts we all have hopes and dreams and we all bleed red you know that's and i'm tired of a world that just wants to look at the color of a skin or what whose hand they're holding or who they want to marry you know that's all bullshit like so lars i i hope you can tackle it and bring humor because that's that's the rub you could tackle it but you want to bring the humor too and and i i think you'll you'll figure it out and all the comedians who do it my hat's off to them. So, uh, sorry, that was my little dad rant there. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, um, I was just impa- impassioned and empowered from your comments about it. And another thing with the arts, like stage, like we do a lot of fundraising, so volunteer. I can get 25 women, but a man who might want to act in a small town is a little bit afraid of either his buddies or coworkers hearing that he's acting in a play because uh, that's kind of for sissies. Yet, you get up there and you get some laughs and uh you know you get those laughs and that's that's why you're doing it just to help people forget about the world and their health and what's happening out there that's why art's amazing whether it's paintings dancing comedy stage movie theaters right that's what makes art so fun is you can forget everything a little piece of heaven i call it is that hour hour and a half 90 minutes whatever 10 minutes 20 minutes so i'm always impressed that you can go up there by yourself on stage and <laughs> and go, well, I think I know I can do it. I hope everyone gets it, right? Yeah. Can, can you be too smart as a comedian? Well, that's a great question. Comedians who think they're too smart for the audience are bad comedians. Because if you were a good comedian, you would give the audience enough information in the setup of the joke so that the punchline worked. When a comedian's like, oh, my material's too smart. It's like, no, you're bad at explaining it. Like if you're a teacher or an instructor and the like you're talking about the material in such a high level way that it that people can't understand you, you're a bad teacher. So I've seen comedians go, oh, that joke's a little over your head. And I'm like, yeah, because you did a bad job setting up the joke. In order for the punchline to pay off, you have to explain the explain it in a way that the punchline would make sense. You're like, oh, I get like, you're you're just bad at comedy then, and I, a lot, and and they're often pretentious, and I'm like, no, you're shitty at this. Like, if you you were better at this, now let's say you wanted to to do a joke about, like, um, nuclear physics, and you you had a master. I I know a a comedian friend of mine has a master's in physics. Now, if you want to talk about physics, you have to explain in a way that's simple enough for the audience to understand, so that your punchline makes sense to that audience. That's as a comedian. That's your job to have it make sense and then be funny. Um, so when people are like, mm, I guess I'm just a little too smart for you. I'm like, yeah, you might be, but the fact of the matter is, you're you're bad at comedy. Yeah, you may be too smart, but you ain't got the funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're right. Those the best jokes are where you can let every because we're all gonna as an audience hear a little bit different or go into our memory bank to get caught up in what you're setting up as a comedian. 
and you got to let our imaginations play into it right you yeah. talked about your you like daylight savings times cuz you know hour and 3 minutes in bed so i laugh and i think to myself my situations in life a good point and then all of a sudden i'm picturing you and i'm like oh, okay stop with the imagination shuts off now and that's makes it funny for me you know and everyone else is going to see or hear that joke and interpret it different but you got to set it up you're right you got to have like the rules of engagement when you go up to do a joke or a whole set right yep and that's the how people receive that information is often their own history will make them perceive it in a way one way or the other and that's you know the, like i my intent so i got i got a complaint today <laughs> about a, about a joke and i'm going to this is it's funny so the joke it was on cbc i was to say i was in australia and the and the commonwealth games were taking place and an australian guy said to me mid show he goes how's canada doing in the commonwealth games ha 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 i'm like well they're the summer games we're a winter nation we don't do well in the summer sports as a matter of fact in the london summer olympics we won one gold medal in the entire london summer olympics we won one single gold medal and i go does anybody want to guess what that event was in no most of the time nobody get nobody gets it can event. i guess can sure. i guess absolutely trampolining yeah it was women's trampoline yeah i remember that yep so we won one gold medal <laughs> and i say <laughs> i go i'm pr- i'm proud we won but i didn't know that was an event it feels like <laughs> a participation medal where they went hey canada hasn't won anything Let's make up something so they can win a gold medal. They're like, how are Canadians at bouncing? They're pretty good bouncers. All right, tell them it's the finals. Drag a trampoline into the gymnasium. We'll put people in the stands and they'll cheer and right. So the the for me the essence of this joke is that I was heckled in Australia. It actually happened during the Commonwealth Games because we weren't doing well. We didn't do well in the London Summer Olympics. So I went and researched it and I'm like, "Oh, we won one gold medal and it happened to be in women's trampoline." Mm-hmm. So this woman heard it on CBC and took the time to send me a complaint. And here's her complaint. All right. Um, this was today. So just heard your show on CBC. Pretty good until your comment about the only gold being won by women's trampoline. Because it was won by a woman question mark or because it was a it was trampoline question mark ignorance on both accounts i'm like it's a factual statement <laughs> that we only won one gold medal in the london summer olympics as a nation like how simple are you that you could see that and go this joke <laughs> is making fun of trampolining or women i'm like it has nothing to do with that It's the fact that we do well in the Winter Olympics and we don't do well in the summer. I don't even understand how somebody could have found offense in that. But <laughs> like you said, we say these things and then people receive them however they want. And I'm like, I said to her, I was like, I go, I don't even know how you could be offended by that. I'm like, the joke is that we're bad at summer events. Yeah. And she's like, just to clarify, I by the way, I think this person is an idiot. I just want to say like <laughs> if you take the time to like there's not a complaints department for comedy. Like the satisfaction of you making your opinion heard i want you to know i don't care <laughs> like i actually don't care what you think at all 
Yeah. Um, it's like you weighing in on what you think the Mars rover should have looked like. Like taking the time to message NASA and be like, you know, the Mars rover should have had two more wheels. They're like, why? Why are you messaging us? We don't care what you think. She goes, you emphasize that it was women's trampoline. Because like, it was. Because it was. Uh, you weren't. She, you you weren't insinuating. You were stating fact. I don't. I don't know. How much yeah. more obvious and factual you can be? That's not ignorance. That's fact. Like you said, I don't understand how somebody could have listened to that joke and heard something that. Now she. This is. She goes on to say, as a woman who has competed in rowing, women's rowing, always getting crappy boats, no funding, no coaching. That's why I took offense. And I'm like, your interpretation is fascinating. I go, I didn't know men or women's trampoline was an event. I didn't know that. I go, I say in the in the joke, I'm proud we won, but I wasn't aware that was an event. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't know how many people were. I go, the spirit of the joke is that Canada is not overly strong in summer events. How you receive the joke speaks more to your experience than to the intent mm-hmm. of mine. Like, if she's like, we were underfunded, this is bullshit. I'm like, well, then write a letter to the fucking IOC. And the well, government, why, the people. Sure. Like, like, why are you talking to me about this? I'm. I didn't. Do you want me to go back in time to London and win more medals for us? Like, to, or to make sure that I cheered louder for our yeah. athletes? Like, why are you messaging me about this? You are. You are a simpleton. Now, people who receive, I've seen somebody come unglued when a comedian was making a joke about diabetes, like completely unglued. Now, it turned out we learned later, I didn't know the audience member, that their mother had passed away from diabetes. Now my father passed away from dialysis and from diabetes. So, hey, I can, it was a fresh thing for him and he was triggered by that thing. Yeah. Um, so everybody has this, the baggage that they brought in with them and it's not always bad. They brought in their own history and their life experience. So for somebody to hear me going, our only gold medal was women's trampoline? And they go, how dare you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. How to address this? Like of I thought all, it was pretty, uh, yeah. of all the jokes you've ever told, who would have thought that would be the one? I'm sure you've got other complaints in your life, but you know what I mean. Yes, but it's it's so great. And I actually was in, doing a big show in Whitehorse, and the show went so well. It's the Yukon Ride for Dad, and I was on the top of the world. I was the show was great, and I'm reaching. We go to a pub after, and me and the organizers and a couple of the comedians and. I reach for my beer. It just got set on the bar. And this girl comes up and goes, were you one of the comedians? And I go, yes, I was. And she goes, your joke about, I go, hold on. Are you my act? <laughs> and she goes, well, I just thought, I go, no, no. Yes or no. Are you about to critique my act? And she, she goes, well, I just, I go, yeah. So you're about to critique my act. She goes, yes. I go, I want you to know that it would be impossible for me to care any less about what you're about to say. I go, I could not care less. I'm not the complaints department. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and I want you to write a blog. I go, because I don't care. I'm not the complaints department. Your opinion is worthless to me. Walk away. <laughs> like, yeah. I, like to, 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 the audacity that somebody would go up and to a comedian and go, by the way, I would like to break down one of the jokes in your hour long <laughs> show. Just this one. I thought the rest of your jokes were fine, but this joke rubbed me the wrong way. And I want to let you know because I I am so self-important that I think that 
my opinion means something to you as a professional. I'm yeah. like, yeah, lady, I, I'm going to enjoy my beer with my friends. I, I want to be as nice as possible. I thank you for coming to the show and supporting the Ride for Dad. But I want you to fuck off. <laughs> yeah, just file that in your own complaint department, wherever. Like you said, go write a blog. I'm sure go somebody write a blog. else will like it. Yeah. Yep. Or go um, home and write your own joke. You know what yeah. I mean? Just go away. Yeah. Don't jokes about women's trampoline men if you're a comedian. I, I like <laughs> yes. us Canadians. We're nice, but don't you dare talk but, bad about state facts about the trampoline now i uh, so when we did the fire pit comedy tour last year rosie mclennan who won the gold medal she also won the gold mm -hmm. medal the following olympics so she has two yes. gold medals rosie mclennan who i'm incredibly proud of because she has two gold medals for our nation um and the best in the world i'm so proud um her sister was at a show last summer <laughs> And Norm Shaw, who I was working with on the Fire Pit Tours, was trying to time it so that Rosie McLennan was in the audience with me doing that joke. Mm -hmm. And I, the, I poke fun at myself when I say, um, I imagine her holding up her gold medals, like her two gold medals, and go, hey, are you still doing comedy in people's backyard? <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, there you go. She wins it all. And I am so proud. And I, you know, like I, I just think that it was fat. It's fascinating to me that somebody can find <laughs> and it's their own triggers. You know, when <laughs> yep. we when we unpack, when we go like, OK, let's unpack this. Let's let's get this down to why you thought that this was like an actual offensive thought or idea, mm -hmm. because I, I it never even if, if we had won it in men's trampoline, I would have it was just interchangeable. Mm -hmm. Like I would have just been like men's trampling. One medal. Our only yep. one medal. <laughs> I didn't even know trampling was an event. They probably just gave that to us as a participation gold medal. But they're like, tell Canadians that it's the finals and drag a trampoline in, <laughs> into the gymnasium. Like that, that line to me is funny to use. Like it's, but I'm like, wow. Okay. Like, I mean, well, I guess. Well, then I'd have to write you this morning and say, Lars, I once wished I could have played hockey professionally, but for a lack of talent, skill, and ability, you know, <laughs> is it because it's a man on a trampoline? He wasn't good enough to be a hockey player, or yeah, anyone, anyway, whatever. Yeah. The fascinating, like they say, the I don't know who said it, but the truth of a man's words lies after the word "but" in a sentence. So she <laughs> she threw her complaints at you, and then the "but" came, and the "but" was. She used to try and compete at a high level, you know, in rowing and that, but she couldn't get success because of an underfunding from wherever it comes from, the Canadian Olympic community, the governments and all that, et cetera, et cetera. So there you go. She, she answered her own question, well, but and took it out on you, you like that trigger, right? It's, and to take the, the time trigger. to, yeah. And it's, I want people to address their own like that stuff that they carry around with them that that kind of bothers them or eats away at them or because if and i'm certainly uh, there's i have a lot to unpack in my life but i like the idea of people being more joyful because they realize that this is something that they needed to talk about mm -hmm. so I, I hope that she got it off her chest and i also hope that she feels a little bit better and also um that she goes oh okay this guy wasn't being misogynistic this right. guy wasn't trying to 
to disparage an athlete who won a gold medal, which I, I sincerely was not. It never even occurred to me that somebody would receive it that way. So I was like, I'm like, wow, I didn't like, I thought that that was like really kind of beyond interpretation, but it, apparently it wasn't. And, and I like, you know, I see when I see great kindness, when I see there was a neat thing that happened where I don't remember, I think it was Sarah Silverman who she had tweeted something out and some guy like attacked her on Twitter and she was like, what's wrong? Like you <laughs> overreacted. And it turned out that, the, I don't know if it was her or Pat Oswalt. I, I can't recall which of the two, but you can probably just Google it. So it turned out that the person had back pain and was suffering from like chronic pain, couldn't afford medication. So the comedian, whether, I think it was Pat Oswalt, but it might've been Sarah Silverman, um, did a GoFundMe, raised the money to pay for their treatment so that they weren't in chronic pain. So I love that when we when we break it down, when we peel away the layers, why did this cause you to react and feel that way? And I, not in I'm not in a condescending or patronizing way. I actually want to know why this caused you to react that way or feel that way. Like why did you feel so attacked when I when I said our only gold medal was women's trampoline? Because I I looked at that like that was our only gold medal. <laughs> yeah. That that was the point, right? We're not good at the Summer Olympics. <laughs> yeah. No, that's it. That's the we, whole... We don't bring a haul in all the time in golds. You know, yeah, short, short, short of, you know, a guy cheating an 88 and Donovan Bailey redeeming us, we don't get a lot of gold medals in Summer Olympics, that's for sure. Yep. That's... And that was... That's how I... That's how I... I my intent but i also as i get a little older um, <laughs> i realized that just because my intent was kind or my intent was honest or my intent was was not malicious doesn't mean that somebody didn't receive the information in a way that was hurtful so if right. i feel like so like most of the time not in comedy i don't care what you think of my comedy i hope you enjoy it but i don't care like if somebody's like i have an opinion about how that i'm like yes yeah, sh- shut up yeah. Um, but but if in my life, when I I've done something that somebody interpreted as hurtful, and I realized that I had opened that up for interpret, like I was like, oh mm-hmm. my goodness, that wasn't what I meant. But first of all, I'm I apologize because I've hurt your feelings. I sincerely apologize. I'm sorry. I'm going to make an effort to not let that happen again in the future. Like to accept responsibility and 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 to say like I'm going to try and be better than I was, um, that's all I can do. And then it's up to the person if they want to give you an opportunity to be better or they don't don't want to associate with you anymore. And all both of those those you know both of those um, um, options are acceptable because the person gets to feel and think, yep. you know, how and they work, want work through it. Yeah, yeah. and and I hope that. You know, I, yeah, I, I want it to be joyful. I, I'm so lucky to get to do what I do. But That's also, right. if you want to critique my act, um, I really want you to know that I do not care one iota about what your opinion is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It'd be kind of hard to do any any job, any gig. And like, I, I drive garbage truck. That's what puts food on the table for my family. And people have to critique how we pick up garbage. It's like, Matt, you, you know, just go back about your business we'll take your garbage and we'll move on there's stuff we can take stuff we can't we're not allowed to take a propane bottle i'm sorry i don't care how much taxes you pay <laughs> you, you know what i mean we're not blowing up our truck sorry so 
right? You know, and they get, and usually it's something else. They've had the bad day. Maybe they lost their job. Maybe they haven't worked for 14 months, right? You know, we, yeah. But you're taking something we've done has triggered you, but yeah, maybe you need to, but also we don't give a shit. We're doing our job. <laughs> just, listen, I'm glad you pay taxes because we don't pick up garbage for free. But yeah, well, I pay $60 a month and this isn't proper. Well, go talk to your counselor. Go talk to the mayor. Go talk to whoever it is you need to talk. I can't change, you know, and I, I imagine it's like that for comedians. It's like, like you said, you don't really care. You're doing your job and, you know, you're not specifically out there going, you know, rise up white people, oppress everyone else. You're telling jokes that are tasteful slash wherever pushing the line and all that but you're not out there to offend and incite hurt feelings obviously if you're gonna unpack it that way that's that's on you like this lady demonstrated yeah i want to hurt their soul (laughs) yeah well that's fine (laughs) i want them to like actually question their worth as a human being (laughs) and you know what Um, you should be like that that's that's i i like you mentioned earlier that got to show that guy and i'm gonna say guy because i think 95 percent of the time it's a guy um i think the women who do it are just probably hilarious because they probably have something in their soul that could make money for them on stage as a comedian but the guys who do it just grow up man no one cares yeah i'm paid to see you um so let's just wrap this up here with a few questions just off the comedian topic and more into the um other things lars what are other things passions interests that that you have that aren't comedian stand-up comedy related i when i see people write um opinions on facebook i'm always a little bit disappointed because i think if they take the time to write um their elected official whoever it would be for that um i don't have kids but i care immensely about education and Mm -hmm. i wish post-secondary education was free for everyone i really do um, I think our healthcare system, while it has a lot of things, um, you know, it, it has a lot of things that are wrong with it. It's also one of the greatest things about Canada is socialized healthcare. Is, is you don't have to worry about going bankrupt because of our healthcare system. So I write letters a couple times a year, two, three times a year. I write letters regarding our education and and healthcare. I wish that people, instead of writing a long post on Facebook, direct your time and energy to your elected official. So I, I, that's something that means a lot to me. Um, one of my favorite hobbies is, uh, is just going to movies. Gosh, I miss, you know, when I needed to unwind theater, I, you know, I had uh, season tickets to the, to the Citadel for years. And, um, I've seen almost every Broadway play there is, and uh, I haven't seen Hamilton yet, but I've seen (laughs) the majority of the rest of them. If people haven't seen the play come from away, um, there's a documentary about it as well, but Come From Away was the single greatest play I've ever seen. It's about 9-11 and the planes that had to land in Gander, Newfoundland. Right. And the play is just so great. Um, I can't recommend that enough. So I love going to theater. I love, you know, performance. And um, and as a failed musician, a terribly bad musician, I, you know, I appreciate music a lot. Um, <laughs> I have a, I bought a car brand new drove it off the lot and it now has 700,000 kilometers on it in a little over 10 years so I'm, I'm very proud of it we're going to a million kilometers knock on wood um, it's a Volkswagen Jetta so if you guys can just message Volkswagen and say hey we heard Lars talking about 
is is seven hundred thousand kilometers. Going for a million. Get that new one, free one. Get that free one ready for. I mean, (laughs) I I I love the amount of touring I've had. uh, You know that the job has taken me to. The car has been as far north as um, as the Yukon, as far south as Los Angeles, as far east as Chicago and Thunder Bay. So I'm you know. I'm really grateful to have had a reliable vehicle for, you know, hopefully a few more years as well as we get trying to get to a million. But I, I love that. And if people are on social media, it's, um, yes, it's your, it. your odometer posts are sheer genius and mathematician ability that you <laughs> don't know you have, but to get all the numbers and common, we could talk for three hours in a podcast about all the different combinations and things you've done. And the odometer is definitely worth, watching your social media for because it's amazing i'm always amazed i show my wife and she's like what are you showing me i'm like right yeah you're not following along but this is amazing meg you gotta check this out maybe it's the guy thing and the little boy and all of us and all that right in school typing boobies on her calculator and showing her buddies but check out your odometer stuff so yes hats off to that that's fun it's 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 been a lot of fun and and i'm you know i think about all those all those miles in the car and they've you know for the most part been joyful it's been pretty pretty happy traveling and if people um it's on instagram and twitter is extra like e-x-t-r-a extra and lars extra lars so you can i follow everybody back so if they want to gain a follower they can just follow me and i'll follow them back and then they can unfollow me you get a free follower well you keep updating your odometer so you have to stay following see so <laughs> no one's good you hooked everybody um, that was my second to last question about where they could find you on social media. And speaking of Lars, extra Lars, uh, Lars, I remember seeing your comedy special on on Comedy Network or CTV late night. One, t- I always like to watch the comedians that come on. Uh, I like a joke. Laughing is always fun. And I remember you doing the romper room skit and saying, and I used to say that to all my friends, you know, being named Nels. <laughs> she never saw Nels in the mirror <laughs> and you did that. And I forgot about it till I rewatched the clip you sent me. And I was like, yes, now I remember. And uh, just, just had to say that I feel your pain. I imagine Lars was made fun of a few times growing up, maybe not traveling as much, but Nels became Nels, smells, bells, hells, bells, Nels, smells. Wow. You know, Lars, bars, cars, Mars. Yeah, yeah. Everything that you can. But here's a. So the bit that's on the Comedy Network yeah. where I talk about the romp room lady, there's actually a second part to that that happened after I recorded my comedy special. Okay. So for people, I can send them, like, we'll send them the clip or whatever they want. But um, the joke goes. The first time I had my mouth washed out with soap when I was a yes. kid, I was watching the show Romper Room. So I waited for her to say, if you're old enough to remember Romper Room, she would say common names. She would go, I see Billy and David and Jessica and Sally. I waited for two years to hear Lars. Not once. Finally, I snapped and I said, I'm right here, you cross-eyed bitch. <laughs> and then my mom washed my mouth out with soap. And that's the only time I ever wished I was deaf. Yeah. <laughs> because then she would have just washed my hands yes that i feel like that joke that really is witty can, well it's clever in that yeah you like i wish i was deaf because then she would have had to wash my hands you yeah. have to put those very simple pieces together yep. in order to get to now about a year and a half after i recorded my comedy special i'm doing a show in regina saskatchewan i tell the romp room story on stage and there's a 72-year-old woman who's in the, at the show who laughs so hard 
she almost falls off her chair. Like she is laughing so hard. And she came up to me after the show, host of Romper Room. Nice. The host of Romper Room was at my show. And I have a picture of it. So if people send me a message on Extra Large, they can follow me or not, whatever. But send me a message, go send me the Romper Room picture. I will send them the Romper Room picture. I can also send it to you. Um, So I met the Romper Room lady. And then I say in the joke, I go right after they took the picture, I held that bitch down and made her say my name. (laughs) Yes. That's, so that's part two of the joke. Yeah. And it it happened after the comedy special was recorded. And I, I guess that's a lesson as a comedian, your jokes always evolve, right? Yeah. (laughs) You're always building on them and and, and evolving them. Yes. No, that's, uh, I also got to see you, uh, at the comic strip a couple of times, a couple of times hosting, uh, you know, being the guy at the front, warm up the audience and introduce the host or do the host stuff as well. And I've always enjoyed it. I've always, always laughed. You've always made that, me laugh. Wouldn't that be funny if, if you were the guy who shouted out, bring Rick back? <laughs> You're like, actually, I saw your show. Rick buried you. Yeah. And I, and so, I was the one who said, yeah. And remember that guy yelled, bring Rick back. That was actually, does that PTSD kick in? No, that would be too awesome. I wish. How amazing would that be? Maybe one day you'll find the bring, bring Rick back guy. Let's, let's fingers crossed. You can do that. Yeah. Um, um, any pet peeves besides people taking, not taking time to write down LA's and the government. Uh, what's a pet peeve of yours? Your biggest. Um, be, be kind to um well okay um in in closing um people who um don't have humanity in interactions on social media Mm -hmm. one of the things that they've proven is that um empathy um is reduced with every sense you remove so if you can't see the person if you can't touch the person, if you can't hear the person, if you can't smell the person, every time you remove a sense, there's less empathy because you don't associate that as being a human being. When it comes to social media or anything online, YouTube comments, you can read and you can see how it lacks decency or kindness or humanity. Yep. I really don't like it when people remove that it's a person. It's a human being on the other end of that. That's yep. receiving your like nasty little comment or your shitty little dig. The idea that we we don't have that compassion and decency on social media because we've removed that. So, as you know, I'm grateful people who've listened to this podcast all the way through. Um, if you see somebody being rude, you know you don't have to engage or you don't have to have a big battle with them. You can just say to a person, "That's not nice." That's right. It's not nice behavior. It's not kind. What you're doing is, would your mother be proud of that comment? And again, I don't want to get people embroiled in some, you know, social media battle. But at the same time, if we all just called out, you know, people who were bullying online or harassing Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, doing, you know, being, being an unkind person, you just go, hey, this, this isn't nice. And hopefully that gives them a little bit of pause. So I I, I just want people to, you know. I, I agree. I have never used a name other than my own name, Nels Nelson, on Twitter. That way, if I'm a complete total arse, um, somebody can... I love the people who go, I know this guy, because they always have a name like, I'm Garbage Guy 6428242, 
and then they're so brave and they can say all the dumbest mean hurtful things but i like when somebody realizes and they're i know that guy i work with him and they share it call yeah. this number to complain let their bosses know that's what i mean you want to be a tough guy or a tough woman who makes statements use your real name yeah Yeah, then then you're a human now you you know maybe you take away the sense still like that study shows but at least you're putting your name on it you know yeah, and so, i'm proud yeah same i'm the same with you it's like yeah. it's my real name it's my real picture yeah. and yeah. it is this kind of fun when when those people get exposed and they, they get held accountable yeah. for that kind of behavior it's um i just, retweet those like mad when that happens like retweet yes call their boss <laughs> <laughs> the sadistic part of me that we all have it's like yeah, yeah. fucking call that guy's boss I'm gonna call him and then I get up at 3.30 and go to work and completely forget but I've retweeted and, <laughs> and engaged in the odd Twitter battle but I save Twitter for ripping on Leafs fans and Canadians fans and Flames fans and the guy in New York who's like if Connor McDavid was in the States he'd be a better hockey player it's like fuck off quit being jealous <laughs> of the greatest hockey player on the planet you know what I mean like Yeah, use your real name, man or woman, ma'am or sir. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I get where you're coming from. So uh, to wrap it up, I like to do this with all the guests on the show. It's it's kind of this moment where you, Lars, get to step away from your life so far. What do you take from your life? And what would you like us, the listeners, to take from your story so far? Well, I, I, I had the luxury of having parents that were in the entertainment field. So it wasn't a far reach for me to to do comedy as a job. My parents didn't judge it. They, you know, that, that's what they did. So the, I wish everybody, Mike Wilmot, who we were talking about earlier, he had a line and it was a jazz musician that he was quoting. And he said, there are day people and there are night people. And day people work all day just to give their money to night people. Mm-hmm. Now, when I think day people and night people, I don't necessarily just think theater or comedy or music. It's anybody who lives passionately, anybody who does what they love for a living. So if you if you liked woodworking and you built cabinets and that's what you love, then people are working a job that perhaps they don't enjoy as much to give you their money. Mm -hmm. So I hope that people get an opportunity to do whatever their passion is. Whatever you love to do, I hope you get to do that thing. That's the thing that I would love for everybody on the planet is to just do what they love for a living because I can't believe that I get to it, it's I'm so grateful and um, it's I don't take it for granted even for a second excellent advice good words of wisdom you know with age comes wisdom I guess or looking back yeah. on life 2020 vision uh, so I'm a fan Lars I'm, I'm glad I got to meet you and chat with you they always say never meet your heroes and your idols and that and I admire anyone who goes on stage But like I said, I see you all the time on on social media that I'm a huge fan. So you didn't disappoint. I'm not going to critique any of your jokes, by the way. <laughs> Maybe one next time I'm at a show of yours, I'm going to be like, I'm just going to yell out. I want to critique that joke after the show. And then you'll know it's me. Anybody, yeah, Nels, Nel Is your name fucking Nels Nelson? What were your parents thinking? Anyway, <laughs> my pet peeve for those who have listened to me and if you're new to the show is people can spell Nelson, but they can't spell Nels. There's not two L's in Nels. There's not two L's in Nelson. There's not an I in Nels. Just take the O-N off. That's all you got to do. And you got my first name. Um, but I really appreciate it, Lars, you coming on. Um, you've never met me. I'm just a guy who's... Look, my goal is 
if I should die, I, my mom died 11 years ago from diabetes related stuff. There's that diabetes under the theme of the show. Um, I can remember what she looks like and everything. Can't remember what she sounds like. So if something should happen to me, my kids can at least put on one of my podcasts and hear my voice. You know, I might not be directly talking to them, but they're like, that's the shit dad was passionate about. And, and he did it sometimes too long every weekend, but he did it <laughs> for Pete's sake. They'll probably say other words because, you know, they're kids and they know all the swears. So I do appreciate it. Um, thanks for getting back to me and agreeing to do this. Uh, it means a lot. I don't know if you hear that enough. What you do meant a lot, but what you did tonight means a lot to me and I really appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. So let's let's do it again sometime. Like I said, I'm going to I'm going to yell out. I want to critique your joke after the show. <laughs> don't take it to heart. You'll probably at first be like that fucking wood asshole would say that. Oh, then let's 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 look forward to that day where and my wife will be like, what are you doing? Don't say anything. I'm not even going to tell her because she never listens to my podcast, um, <laughs> but I'm going to do it. And she's going to hate me the rest of the night. But it's happening, Lars. That's we're, we're setting that date somewhere down the road. Deal? Good. All yeah, right. absolutely. So again, I really appreciate it. You can find Lars Kellyo all over in, instant or Instagram, uh, social media, and that I'm getting tired. My brain's starting to go bleh. Uh, see him on TV, CBC. Listen to Sirius XM. Get clips all the time. YouTube, right? You can find you on YouTube. I'm sure somebody's <laughs> illegally put the Comedy Network special on YouTube. Um, you know the great old youtube so i appreciate it lars all the best to you success and fortune in the future congratulations on staying busy and chasing your dreams through the pandemic and uh stay safe would you man i will do you too all right thanks everyone for listening this has been nels nelson's interesting people with comedian lars kellyo i appreciate it all stay safe don't drink and drive wash your hands bye-bye everybody I'm Nels Nelson, and thank you for listening to Nels Nelson's Interesting People. If you'd like more information on this show or other shows coming up, feel free to follow me on Twitter at AudioNels, or you can go to Facebook.com slash Productions, and you'll get show updates there. Also, you can email the show by going to the email button on your phone or on your computer and emailing nninterestingpeople at gmail.com for any suggestions of people you'd like me to interview or maybe you want to be interviewed on the show. Reach out to me any of those three ways. Once again, thank you for listening to Nels Nelson's Interesting People.